Um, this series that we're in, again, is called Mixtape. And if you weren't here last week, as we began this series, one of the things that we talked about was that back in the day, what we did is, you know, if you were going to make a tape with all your different bands and songs that you liked, you would have to get your boom box and then maybe another boom box and then a tape recorder. And, and if you're trying to get it off the radio, you had to hit play or record at the right time. And like somebody said, sometimes the people, the, the DJs were talking and then you had to go back and erase that. And man, it'd take like three weeks to make a mixtape, Right. But they, we loved our mixtapes, and we would make them for everything, uh, whatever season of life we were kind of in. Well, today we have our, our phones, and we get our phone out, and we go to, if you got an, an Apple, you go to iTunes, and you hit it, and you're like, playlist, and then you're just like, plus, 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 and 10 seconds later, there you go. So kids today don't know just the ingenuity and <laughs> genius of so many of us here in this place this morning. But we make those mixtapes because they were fun, and we love to listen to different music, and that was a way that we could do that. Last week, as we began the series, we looked at Psalm 1, and we said, hey, here's the deal. God has a mixtape for us, and it's called the book of Psalms. Now, second apology for today. Last week, I said, it's actually the book of Psalm, not the book of Psalms. I was thinking about something else. I know sometimes that sounds weird, but I think about other things while I'm preaching. It, I can do that sometimes. I was thinking about something else, and I, I messed up. The chapters are actually, you can only use the singular word, okay? So it's like Psalm 2, but what do we say? Psalms 2. It's actually Psalm 2. The book is a book of Psalms. Nobody cares, but I just had to apologize for that today. Um, we are in Psalms 2 today. Actually, Psalm 2. See, there we go. Psalm 2 today, or Song 2. And Song 2 is just an absolutely incredible, incredible song. If you're following along in our reading plan, in fact, if uh, you like our Facebook page, every single day, Monday through Friday, we're putting up a psalm for that day. You can read through it on your program that you have today. If you look on the back where the notes are in the bottom right, it's got the songs listed there for each day this week. You can put that in your Bible and mark those off each day. But if you, if you read through Psalm 2 on Tuesday, I believe it was, and maybe it hit you as kind of like this, this strange song. All of them are kind of strange in their own way, but, but this one's kind of strange because of, of the power behind it. So there's two pieces to the song. There's a historical piece to it, and then there's this futuristic piece to it also. See, first is, a, is an historical song. It's known as a royal song. We're pretty sure David wrote song two. In fact, song one and song two may have been the same song, and they just split it up. Uh, but song two was written by David. We're not quite sure when it was written by David, but what we do know is that the kings, when they would be uh, coronated to be the king, to be the leader of the kings uh, or the, the nation of Israel, what they would do is they would sing the song. Now, some people say that maybe David wrote it after he was actually anointed by Samuel between that time and the moment that he was coronated to be king. And others say maybe he wrote it after that, but, but whatever the case, when his son Solomon took over and beyond, those kings, they would sing the song in that moment. So there's this historical piece to song number two. In fact, there's a lot of history there. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles there in the seats in front of you. Uh, you can follow along on our uh, screens. If you've got the Journey Church app, you can follow along and actually take notes there and email those notes back to you so you have them. Or you can follow along on your program today. But here's what we see in Song chapter 2. We, we read this together uh, a little bit earlier in our worship time. Psalm 2, starting with verse 1. I'm just going to read 1 through 3. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. There's some history here. The history is this. When new kings would come into power, guess what the other kings and the other nations did? They were thinking, hey, maybe we can take over this nation. And so they would look at this new king and they wanted to know, is this king uh, a general? Because, I mean, many times in those days, a king was a warrior. And so is this king a general? Is he a warrior? Can he fight us? And so they were almost like, like lions, ready to pounce on the prey at any moment. And here was this moment where there's this transition of power and this nation is this, this, this weak spot. And so the, these kings thought, maybe we can jump in. Maybe we can overpower them and take over. And so as David's writing these songs, and especially this one, he's talking about this historical thing that's happening when there's this transition of power in those days. But as we read through the rest of the song this morning, here's the other thing we find. What's listed here, it'd be pretty hard for an earthly king to be able to follow this and to carry this kind of burden in their lives. And so not only do we see this as an historic song, we also see it as a futuristic song it's known to be a messianic song if you go back to verse 2 it says and against his anointed that word anointed when it was translated from the hebrew into the greek is the word messiah and so not only is david writing about what's happening in that moment he's talking about the future he's talking about this messiah that is coming and so we have these, these two different things that are happening within the scripture. We have the present tense of what's taking place in those moments with those kings and the nations. And then we have this future tense of this Messiah is going to be here. This Messiah is coming. And in fact, if we look at the Psalms and we look at the New Testament, especially with Jesus, we, we find that Jesus over and over and over again uses the Psalms to say, this is me. I am fulfilling these prophecies. This particular song we find in Hebrews is talked about quite a bit because there's power in this song. See, it wasn't just for history at that moment. It's even for the future and even for us today. And so as we go through the next few moments, I want to talk about song two and how it impacts you and me even today. Because if we look at this song, I think there are three things that we can pull out of the song. Here, here's the first thing. We all have a king. We all have a king. C.S. Lewis once said that he believed that every single human had this hardwired piece to them of this need for a king. That every single human was, was looking for a king. In fact, if we go back into the Old Testament with the Israelites, God pulls them out of Egypt. And he says, here's the deal, guys. I just need you to follow me. That's it. I need you to follow me. And in fact, here's these 10 commandments. If you do these things, then this, you're going to love others. You're going to love me. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to prosper. You're going to succeed. All you got to do is just, just follow me. And here's what the people did. They looked around. They're like, well, they got a king and they got a king and there's a queen over here and queen over there and then there's a king. They all have somebody in charge of them. We really would love to have a ruler over charge of us. And God's like, well, no, no, that's not the way this works, guys. Here's the deal. Follow me and do what I ask you to do. Just, just serve me. And if you do these things, 
you're going to prosper, you're going to succeed. And they're like, no, we really want a king. And so there's this battle that goes back and forth with, with God and, and the Israelites. And God's like, just follow me. And they're like, no, we, we need a king. And, and finally, God's like, all right, you're a bunch of spoiled brats. I'm going to give you what you want. And so what does God do? God gives them a king. And we talked a couple of weeks ago in our warrior series about King Saul. And we said King Saul was kind of okay when he first started. But, but at the end of his, his rule, he was a terrible, terrible king. But the people got exactly what they wanted. They got a king. Now, why is this hardwired into us? What is, what is the deal with these, these kings? Why, why do we want this? Why did the Israelites want this? Here's the deal. We look at kings and here's what we think. A savior. We look at kings and we think a better life. Think about the legendary kings that we read about or we're familiar with. Uh, kings like King Arthur, uh, Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, even today, Game of Thrones. What's the premise behind all these movies and, and these books? The premise is simple. I want a king. And if we get a king, then we're going to be saved. We're going to be rescued. Everything in our life is going to be great. They're going to defeat the evil people. And this will be our world. And so we go through life thinking that that is exactly what we want. And when we look back at history and it comes to kings, do you know what we find? Track record's not very good. It's not very good. In fact, over time, we've, we've kind of let those monarchies go. There's a few places that still have kings and queens. But for the most part, we've said, that really didn't work for us. And so we've, we've kind of changed gears in our world. And we've said, we don't want a king necessarily. What we want is, or we don't want a monarchy. We want, we want democracy. And then all of a sudden in our minds, we're saying, democracy is the answer. Democracy will rescue us. Democracy will, will save us. And so now we've kind of changed the way that we, we look at the, the power of the political world. And we say the kings didn't work, and so maybe this candidate will work, or maybe this politician will work. And we go through life trying to figure out if we can find hope from that individual, from that person. Now, maybe you're here today, and you're part of a political party, which is wonderful, great. Honestly, we don't care. Or maybe some of you are here this morning, you're like, I'm really trying to decide what political party I would like to follow. And so I thought I'd make it easy for you to figure that out for yourself. So I want to share with you uh, some ideas that, that maybe can help you say, hey, yeah, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. All right, so here you go. You might want to write these down. These are really good. Uh, you might be a Republican if you named your kids deduction one and deduction two, right? <laughs> so maybe you're like, I did that. So that's your Republican. You might be a Republican if you don't think the Simpsons are all that funny, but you watch it because that Flanders fellow makes a lot of sense. All right, so maybe that's you. Or you might be a Republican if you once broke loose at a party and removed your necktie. That could be you. You might be a Democrat, because we want to be fair here. You might be a Democrat if you've ever said we really should call the ACLU about this. You might be a Democrat if you'd rather own Birkenstock than Merck stock. And you might be a Democrat if you actually expect to collect Social Security. So anyway... Look, when we talk about that kind of thing in the church, it's tense, right? You're like, oh my gosh, where's he going to go with this? <laughs> Here's my point. Here we are thousands of years later from what took place with God and the Israelites asking for a king. We're still doing the exact same thing today. We, we look at our political world. We look at politicians. We look at candidates. You know what we say? I need a king. 
And that individual, that person, they're going to be my king. They're going to be my queen. They're going to come in. They're going to save us. They're going to take care of us. Everything's going to be better. Our life is going to be better. And God says, no. Follow me. That's what I need you to do. Follow me. C.S. Lewis in a 1943 article called Equality, said democracy is medicine, not food. Democracy is medicine, not food. Now, I know some of us are going to send me an email like, hey, we're a republic. I get that. I understand that. It's a form of democracy. But what we have done is we've said, I'm hungry for food. I need food. And so what do we do? We put our politicians on this pedestal and we say, you are the one who is going to rescue me. You are the one who's going to rescue our world. And democracy has become this thing that's been our answer to the, the kings that we have this hardwiring for. And so we expect our candidates to fulfill those desires. I, I've never seen this play out more poignantly, I think, than in the 2016 election. Um, if you stayed up and you were part of that, if you watched that, um, it was tense. You know, it was kind of back and forth. And uh, it was a strange night, uh, and at the end of the night, the votes came in, the electoral votes were done, and, and Donald Trump became the president of the United States. But here's what, here's what fascinated me, especially as I read through the psalm over and over again, I think back to that evening. There were a lot of tears that were shed, lots of tears. If you watch the images from Hillary Clinton's constituency, they were distraught, they were pained, they, they sat in disbelief. But here are the comments that I heard leading up to that. Candidate Clinton will save us from the Republicans. She will lead us forward. She will give us freedom. When I, when I think back to that moment and I think about those tears, here are a group of people that are saying, she's our queen. We need her to lead us, to rescue us, to save us. But you know what? It wasn't any different for Donald Trump's constituency. And it's still not any different really today. Because as I think back to those moments, here's what I heard. He will save us from the Democrats. He will lead and lead us forward. He will give us freedom. Here's a group of people, guess what? They're in search of a king. And they're looking for that savior, that rescuer, and this political candidate. Are we any different than the Israelites thousands of years ago? I don't think we are. Here we are. God says, follow me. And we're like, I don't think that's a good idea because I think that person can save me. I think that person can take care of me and give me a better life. And so we put all our trust, all our faith into a candidate, into a politician. And maybe it's even beyond that. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe there's someone else in your life that you put all your trust and all your faith in and you look to them to be your rescuer. God says, no, you just got to follow me. And we're like, no, I, I want to follow this person. And it may not be someone. It may be something in our life. It could be our career. It could be money. It could be a relation. It could be something in our life, a, a job, a hobby that has become our king. And it leads us. See, we all want and desire a king. And that king could be someone or something. My, my question for us this morning, who or what is your king? Because as I'm reading through this psalm this week over and over again, I keep asking myself that same question. Who or what is the king of my life? Because we all are hardwired to have a king in our life. But as we go back and we look at Psalm 2, what we find is that David says there's only one king. And this king that he talks about is not 
an earthly king. Again, this burden that is there is pretty heavy for any human to have. And so in this song, we find that Jesus, this Messiah, is that king. Here's the problem with that. We all want a king, but we hate the king. We hate the king. Back to verse 3. It says, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. These kings are upset. It's pretty simple. They're owned by this other king. This other king has all the power. This other king has, has, has all the people following them. And, and so here they are in their nation, in their place, and they're kind of stuck. And they don't want this other king to have all this power over them. They want to be able to choose it themselves. They want to break free from those shackles. They, they want to be free in their life. They want to make their own decisions. They want to say, this is my life. I, I am my own. If you think about that for a moment, that really is the central idea behind hell. That's the central idea behind hell. I am my own. I will make my own kings. I will lead myself. I I will take the steps that that I want to take. I, I will live my own life. I am my own. If you think about that for a moment, um, as we go through life, we're kind of like that the song we sang a little bit earlier. You guys heard the band do Summer of 69. Brian Adams talks about going back to that summer because it was just an amazing summer. As we get older, we understand we can never really go back to those kind of summers, all right? That life keeps moving on. And as we continue to live our life, we find that, that over time, we begin to make life about me. And when we make life about me, we falter, don't we? We, we make poor decisions in relationships in our finances, in our marriages, as parents. And other things began to, to take over our life and they have become our king. And so when we struggle in those moments, what do we do? Do you know one of our first responses is every single time we go to God, right? I, I've been the king and I've made all these decisions or this person's been my king or this thing's been my king and I've followed that king and it hasn't been healthy. It hasn't been good for me. I'm in this terrible place. These are dark nights of, of my soul. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. What do I do? Oh, I'm going to turn to God. In our Christian Atheist series we did a few months back, I think at the beginning of the year, we said that 89% of people in America say they believe in God. It's interesting to me because we say we believe in God and yet, let's be honest for a moment, we believe in God but we hate the king. We'll go around saying God is love. God is love. And so we define God in that way. But if we go back to the song, God says, yeah, I'm love, but at the same time, I own you. I've given you everything that I have. And if you follow me, if you do what I ask you to do, if you follow the king that I've put in place, you're going to succeed. You're going to prosper. Life's going to be amazing for you. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. And yet what do we do? We say, well, God, I, I believe in you, but I hate the king. We're not fans of the king that God has put in place. And so we've kind of defined this as morality. And so we tell people, hey, I believe in this God of love, but, but at the, the same time, I'm a good person, I, I'm decent, I have standards, I have morals, I help others, I give to people, I take care of others, I love everybody. Again, God is love. And God's like, great, but are you serving the king? 
Great, but are you following the king? Great, but are you worshiping the one true king? If we can be honest with ourselves, I think we all struggle with that. Because those kings are still there in our lives. And we can say that we believe, believe in God, but do we live our lives accordingly? Because again, I think if we were honest, we would say, I'm a good moral person. And, and maybe you hear this in the circles you're in. But God says, that's fine. But at the same time, I need you to follow the king. So if we think about that, we're saying, I love God and God is love. And yet at the same time, we hate the king that's been put there. God says, worship and serve and follow the king. We hate the king. But what's interesting is, what we really know is that we need the king. If we look at those last few verses in Psalm 2, starting with verse 10. It says, therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Here's what we know about our kings. Whatever king that may be for you, again, someone, something, whatever it may be for you in your life, um, those kings will let us down. Just like the kings of, of human rule let down people for thousands and thousands of years. Even our today in our political system, as our candidates, our, our politicians, they let us down. By the way, I'm not saying don't be political, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all here today. I'm saying we've got to be careful with who we make kings or queens in our lives. Because our kings, they'll disappoint us, they'll fail us, they'll let us down. And we've got to come to this place where we realize that we need the king. And, and here's what God gives us, and we sang it at the very beginning, amazing grace. Even though we choose our own path, even though we don't follow the king, even though we have this hate towards the king because of what we're asked to give and to do, even through that, God says, I do still love you, and here's this amazing grace for you. Again, I have given you everything, everything that you could ever need through my son, Jesus. Even though you've chosen your own kings and you've chosen your own path, I extend my grace to you. Think about how in our lives, and this may be very pertinent for uh, many of us, think about the moment, if you're a Christian, when you gave your life to Christ. Because if, if you think about it, and even the stories that you've heard people talk about, and again, maybe even your own story, so many people come to follow Christ in those dark days. Like they have said, hey, I was living my own life. Here are my kings. These are the things I was following. These are the things that I was doing. But I was failing. I was dying. And that was the moment that I gave my life to Christ. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I need a true king to lead me. And so many people give their lives to Christ in those moments. Because in that moment... When it's dark and you're in pain and you're hurting, you realize the only thing that can save you, the only thing that can give us a better life, the only thing that can rescue us is the true king. We need that savior. We need that rescuer. If over the past few weeks you've paid attention to news cycles, you heard the story of the 12 boys played on the soccer team in Thailand and 
how they got stuck in this particular cave there. And um, one, I can't imagine what it was like to be stuck there, to know you can't get out. And then could you imagine being a parent of those kids? And you're sitting there and you know there is nothing that you can do. You, you know if you try anything, you're going to die. Now, as parents, maybe we would try something just because we want to do whatever we can to, to save our kids. But, but in that moment, you're like, what do we do? We can't go in there. We, we can't help them at all. So I can't imagine what that was like as, as a parent. But, but then think about those boys for a moment. I wonder what that was like for them to be stuck there and to think, this may be it. We may not make it out of here. And then that moment when those rescuers come into the cave and, man, I can't imagine the, the, the excitement and the jubilation in that moment. But what if those rescuers got there and the boys looked at them and, and one of them or all of them said, hey, you know what, don't help me. I'm good to go. You know what, I, I am my own king I can take care of myself and and by the way I'm a good decent moral person I don't need you to rescue me I don't think there was a boy in there who said those words because they understood we either follow these rescuers to our freedom to our safety or we stay here and we die we can follow our own kings we can go where our kings lead us But every single time that we do that, again, whether that's someone or something, here's what happens. We die. We die. Every single instant, death takes place. And sometimes we have to get to the bottom of the pit, to the depths of that cave, to realize that we really need a true Savior, that we need a real rescuer, that we need the true King to come in. And to save us from that. We need to follow the king. And we need to understand that we need the king that God has given us. Here's what happens when we do that. When we choose to follow that king. At the end there in verse 12 at the very bottom of the song. It says blessed are those or excuse me blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you were here last week, we talked about that word blessed. What do we say that it actually meant? Happy, right. Yep. Uh, that word blessed means happy. And so think about it in that context here. And it's funny about the Psalms. As you read through them, as we're reading together, sometimes they kind of start out like life is terrible, life is horrible. I don't, you know, these people are crazy, all that kind of stuff. And then at the very end, there's always this, this moment of hope, right? And so I, I, we see that here, that blessed are those who take refuge in, in him or happy, are those who take refuge in him. Happy are those who let go of their kings. Happy are those who are slaves to the king. Happy are those who accept God's grace into their lives. Happy are those who the king rescues. Happy are those who bow down to the king. God says, look, just follow the king. But you can still live your life. You can still enjoy life, but... But don't let these other kings pull you away from the true king. Don't let these other kings say, hey, I'm your rescuer, I'm your savior. And you get in the midst of that and you realize they're human and they let you down. God says, no, here's the deal. Follow the king. And you know what happens when you do that? You're going to succeed. You're going to be happy. 
when you find that refuge in this true Savior and this real rescuer. Here is your king. Serve him, worship him, follow him. I don't know what your next steps may be coming out of this message today and, and out of reading this song. Uh, maybe for you, you haven't made Jesus the king of your life. Maybe you still have that person or that thing that you still follow, that you still worship, that still leads you. Maybe for you, you've got to be willing to say, okay, that hasn't worked. That hasn't worked at all for me. And so something has got to change. And maybe for you, it's taking that next step and saying, I want Jesus to be my king. One of the things that we believe is a part of that spiritual journey for us is, is baptism. And I can't think of anything more beautiful than, than baptism in that moment where you, you, you say, these are all my kings and, and I'm wearing them and they're a part of me. And then going into that water and coming back out and you're free from all that. And you're free from that. And in that moment, you're like, Jesus, you are my king. Maybe that's the place that you are right now. We'd love to talk to you about baptism. You can grab that connection card. You can put your information on it. You can mark baptism. You can put it in the offering baskets at our communion time or in our black, black boxes that are around the building. And we'll contact you. We'll talk to you about that. We love talking about that because that is just such a huge part of our spiritual journey to take that step in baptism. And then maybe for others here, you're a follower of Christ. And maybe you're like me because I read through this and I'm like, yep, there's a king in my life and there's a king and there's a queen and there's a king. And man, sometimes you just got to remind ourselves that we've got to follow the true king. That God sent his son to us so that we could follow him. God says, here's everything. Here's my grace. I'm extending it to you. And you've taken that gift but still, we kind of walk through life hating the king. God says, no, 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 no. Follow the king. Serve the king. Worship the king. And maybe we need to be reminded of that today. I can't think of something more powerful than the communion that we take every week. Because for us, that is this moment of remembrance of the king. As we head into our communion time this morning, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson, which I think is so powerful based on the psalm that we read. Emperor Diocletian was around around the third century AD, and he was part of the Roman Tetrarchy, and uh, Nero was a pretty, pretty rough emperor, if you know a little bit about your history when it came to Christians. Diocletian was maybe even worse than that. In fact, he got to such a point that he felt like he had persecuted Christians so much that they no longer existed, that they, he had just extinguished them from the face of the earth. And because of what he believed he had done, he built these two monuments, and he had these inscriptions on these monuments. Here's what one of them said. Diocletian, for having extended the Roman Empire in the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the republic to ruin. On the other monument, it said, Diocletian, having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ for having extended the worship of the gods. Like, I, I can't imagine what that was like when he was persecuting Christians. I mean, I've read some of the, the, the things that he did, and it's horrific stuff. But at the same time, I, I, I kind of chuckle here, and here's the reason. Diocletian is dead, and yet Christianity still remains. To me, that's the power that God's kingdom have, has. 
You and I, we all have a king. And you know what yours is right now. In many ways, we show that we hate the king that God has been given us, but then we live our lives accordingly. But can we still remember that through God's amazing grace, we still need the king? And God offers that king for us to worship, to serve, and to follow. If we decide to worship our own kings, we're going to end up like Diocletian. We're just going to be a footnote in history. Or, or we can worship the king, and we can experience that refuge that David writes about here, that refuge in our life now and for all eternity.